The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money. Hi, welcome to the Online Marketing Show. I'm your host, Joey Bushnell. Today, I'm joined by a fantastic copywriter, Bond Halbert. You can find out more about Bond over at thegaryhalbertletter.com. Bond, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Bond, how did you become a copywriter? Well, um, actually, what happened was I was studying copywriting for a long time. My father was known as one of the world's greatest copywriters in history, and he had started teaching me at a very early age. Okay. And w- what happened was, um, you know, I ended up really focused a lot more on hooks, offers, and strategies, which was the main thing he taught. And, but really started in earnest writing a lot more copy when we started selling our own products. So I don't, I didn't end up, you know, because I saw, you know, I worked with clients and in my father, with the, in the family business for so long that I didn't want to take on clients or do anything like that. So, but I ended up, I ended up having to write for myself. And so I, I do a lot of writing and I do it a lot, but mostly I do it for my own, uh, for our own products and services. I know you've just released a book called The Boron Letters. What are The Boron Letters? Um, okay, well, when I said my father started my education early, and I need to explain this. This isn't, um, and if somebody's heard this before, it'll, I'll make this a real quick version because I know it can get tiring if you heard it several times. But what happened was I was walking down the street with my father when I was about nine or ten years old, and he was down on his luck at the time. And I told him I felt I was lucky because while my older brother got to grow up with him having a lot of money and doing all this, I get to see how he does it. And he decided right then and there that I was going to be his main focus was to teach me uh, the business. And so immediately I was flying all over the country and being pulled out of a school to go to brainstorming sessions and very quickly became a uh, contributing member to the team. You know, uh, so I was the you know the only one doing this. My very first job was at a list brokerage company and so forth. Um, but anyway, so that this was all you know at around. Um, you know, nine, ten years old. And then a little later on, what happened was my father um, had to do a stint in Boron Federal Prison Camp. It's a long story, but basically uh, the short version is this. He was running a company, and somebody convinced him to invest all of the company's money into a list that was supposedly hot and um, pulling great results. The list turned out to be a dead list, and so they didn't have money to fill orders. They charged my father with the intent to rip people off, and he ended up after a very long, lengthy trial going to Boron Federal Prison. For 10 months. Well, while he was there, he wrote a series of letters to me and teaching me the business and some life lessons and so forth. And then what happened was um, he took those and he used them as a model for a book that he wrote, which actually helped start and launch a paid newsletter. This was a long time ago back in the day. And then what happened was the newsletter itself became the genesis. Uh, when he took it online, he was the first big guru online, you know, marketing guy to take and show the real stuff online for free to anybody who was interested in doing so. And so all of that kind of thing actually gets boiled back to that site, uh, the GaryHalbertLetter.com, which goes back to his original newsletter, which goes back to the book, which goes back to the Boron Letters, which goes back to the very first letter 
he wrote to me on his 46th birthday. Wow. <laughs> so they're, they're very unique letters. And, um, you know, I just recently started, uh, adding, adding and explaining background and stuff like that and adding, you know, more updated, you know, how, how the things were translated and used, uh, the lessons were updated in the future. These letters have become somewhat uh, marketing folklore, if you will. Thousands of people have read these letters, and it's the marketing lessons within these letters that we will be discussing today. Can I ask you, Bond, the letters that your father wrote to you, did you realise or foresee what it would turn into? I know, I, you know, I did see them turning into um, an outline for a product and all of this other stuff. I, I could see that. What I could not see was the cult classic following that kind of came out of it. Yeah. At one point, my father asked me permission to reproduce the actual letters, you know, because they're they're my letters, <laughs> yeah. um, and they're they were personal between us. And I said yes, and he um, and he actually, you know, created a uh, you know put some online, but he also has a handwritten version where you can actually see the actual letters that he did. And what happened was I met so many people over the years that, you know, not only say this thing like kicked off and this is what really hit me, but there's so many people who um, the most common thing that we hear about is how many times people read the book. Yeah. And you can go back to this book, even I do, you know, and read it once a year and all the, you know, and get more value out of it. And of course I get, you know, it's the greatest gift I could ever get. I feel my dad's love in every page and, you know, and it's also, I recently did a uh, blog post about, you know, thank God my dad went to jail because, you know, while I was getting this incredible marketing education, nobody would really know it if it weren't for the proof of those letters. You know, but because it's kind of hard to, you know, when you say, yeah, your father was a, a, you know, an ad man or your father was into anything, plumbing or electricity, that doesn't necessarily, you know, nobody assumes automatically that, you know, the kids are down there changing circuit breakers too. Yeah. You know, and this is, this is a case, an example where my dad was providing this proof of a very early education. So I get, you know, I got so much benefit out of, I mean, I love them, but I did not expect to have this like brethren of people who, have read the letters and were thinking, you know, were, you know, wishing that that was their father who wrote those letters to them or feeling like they really get to know me and stuff like that. So, um, there, you know, that, all of that was not something I expected in any way whatsoever. Um, I did expect it to sort of get turned into like an info product type of book, you know, as an, you know, translated, not the actual letters. So, um, when it, when I was saving the letters, I knew I was saving the information, but I didn't know I was saving the actual letters that would become a cult, cult, get a cult following eventually. My first question is, in the book, your dad refers to the fact that as marketers, we must find a starving crowd. Why must we do that, Bond? Well, it's okay. First, it's in marketing. It's very hard to even sell people what they actually really want, you know, because they have to, you know, they have to justify the purchase and what they're doing. Like, you know, you may you may want a Porsche, <laughs> you know, but you may think, well, you know, but I have to justify spending that much money on a car and stuff like that. When you're trying to sell people stuff that they're not starving for, it's just horrendously hard. And when people, you know, everybody gets it wrong when they tell me, your father could have sold ice to Eskimos. When they tell me that, you could sell ice to Eskimos. And that's, you're not paying attention. We would sell you heaters to ice, you know, we would sell heaters to Eskimos because it's an easier sale. It's not, you know, we do everything um, to put the odds in our favor and you still don't get 
you know, a 90% success rate. And, um, as marketers. And so what happens is if you're just putting so much more of the, the field is in your advantage when you have a, an incredible offer and a great deal to, to a crowd of people who are really starving for the solution to whatever you're offering. You know, great hamburgers to a hungry crowd, medicine to people who are sick, you know, that kind of a thing. So, um, you know, it's it, it just you, you know your chances of success are much much greater if you're if you're if you're starting off with that. And that actually in that first lesson, my father explains which you know which is look, I don't want heavy competition. I, I want I want an advantage, okay. you know, over other people. So the thing is, you know, he did not go and say get into contest and say, hey, let me see if I can sell the same thing as you just to prove I'm a better salesman. <laughs> he yeah. said, "No, give me something that's easy to sell, so I can make more money." And that's what you know. And easy to sell is something that people are starving for. What does it mean to become a student of markets? Well, each market is different. Even you yourself are a different person when you're shopping for different things. You know what you're looking for, um, what you picture, and you know the things that you're doing. And so. Um, and how much you're willing to spend and, you know, how long your relationship is with a company. So, for example, um, you know, you're, diff- uh, you know, what, what makes you think about going to buy a new car and your concerns about buying a new car are completely different from your concerns and issues about what you're going to go eat for lunch today. Mm-hmm. And so to know your, to know your market, you want to know the size of the market, what they, you know, how much money they're, you know, the average customer will spend over the course of that market. Um, you know, you want to know all, as much information as you can, but you want to know how do the prospects talk when they're speaking about that individual product. You want to know the vernacular so it's easy to put in your copywriting. You know, the more you know about a market, the more, you know, their great copywriting can be divvied up into three phases. Research, which is where all the power is. And then there's the phase I call the copy dump, which is just putting down that first draft or putting down even close to a final draft, but putting those words down on paper. And then the cleanup process, and that's where the professionalism comes in. But the marketing research is where the power comes in. That's where you learn how to, you know, uh, you speak about your market and the, where where to attract the, where to where to find these leads and how much it will cost to address these leads, you know, because you know there may be a lot of people out there, but you know it's very expensive to find, locate, and communicate with them. So uh, you know you have to know all those ins and outs about a market if you're going to really do well. And so copywriters tend to specialize in a market that they do well in. So, you know, my father was one of the few that would actually have a runaway hit and record-breaking winner in, let's say, diet and finance and, you know, um, uh, you know, heraldry and all of these different categories. Mm-hmm. It's you, and the research is to the point where it's so much easier if you already know the research and you know the the hot buttons and everything else. But when you but on the born letters when my father and I don't mean to go off topic here when the born letters my father's talking about market he's talking about knowing whether or not they've got money to spend whether or not they're hot to trot for those products and you know are like rabid for anything new um, and he's talking about knowing the numbers the size you know of the list how you know the hot you know uh, how how fresh you know how many they're called the hot leads but the you know how many fresh names come in per month. You know, because if you if you hit one of those type of lists, um, or you get into an org- uh, something that brings in a whole bunch of new prospective clients every month, you can create a much better, bigger, evergreen mar- uh, launch or uh, campaign. Excuse me, marketing campaign. In the book, it mentions the SRDS. 
What is that, and how can that help us to become a student of markets? Okay, the SRDS um, is the standard rate and data service, and they they produce these really big, huge books, and they were the books of people who had lists that you could rent for mail order. And the great thing about the SRDS, and by the way, the SRDS you can still get in print. I'm sure it's really expensive to do it, but you can also get it online, so you can just Google that up and look at it. But the SRDS is what it would do is you flip through there, and by category you could look and say, okay, I'm going going into golf here and golf has got an incredible number of people who are paying you know lots of money for info products all on you know how to take a stroke off their game so you see these lists and you can pick one that's particularly juicy that's got a lot of fresh neat lead, uh, names coming in every month and run a test to it um, and but so it was a great tool for and it still is it's a great tool for sizing up markets and doing especially for offline now online, you know, there's all kinds of things that you can do. You know, people use the Google searches and see how many times a particular thing is searched. You can get an, you can get a concept of it. But size of the market is because online it's so much cheaper nowadays to address and to try and get the attention of your prospects. So you can reach much smaller niches and make them profitable. Back in the you know with mail order and stuff like that. Um, the lists were a little bit more generic by category and by interest. That was about, you know, that was what you got. So you needed to know that size because it, let's suppose that you were picking on, um, you know, something that was too much of a niche. Um, you know, what would happen is you go to, you'd find a list, but it would be a small list and it's not worth putting together a campaign, testing, a mailing, and all this other stuff. But the main lesson here, the main lesson, is that if you know the market first, you can then design a product that the market wants. Mm -hmm. And that's the right way to go about doing things. Most people come up with an idea. They come up with a solution to what they perceive as a problem. They go out to sell it. And it's not necessarily, you know, might not be what the market is actually looking for or wants at the time. You yourself, Bond, do you do a lot of direct mail pieces or is a lot of your work online these days doing copy for websites and emails? Well, I've done, I've, you know, what I've done is helped a lot of people who are clients that are offline and doing mail order pieces. I personally like to do a lot of writing online because I like to write a lot of, uh, a lot of shorter, um, uh, email, email letters than I do, than I would for long copy, uh, direct mail pieces and long copy, uh, space ads. So, that, you know, that's my preference to go that way. But I end up consulting and helping a lot of people with their direct mail pieces. And direct mail is very hot right now. Uh, there's, there's lack of competition for it. You know, people, uh, you know, people are not coming home to the big piles of mail they had before. And the great thing about that lack of competition is it's, you know, it's, it's relatively speaking, it's still pretty cheap to actually address and get those clients and have that undivided attention. You know, if you if you do direct mail right, you know, and uh, even online, the circulation costs, you know, because the circulations of newspapers have gone down, so the price isn't that much. But the people, if you're targeting the right people who are reading the newspapers, you can make a lot of money in space ads too right now because the cost of the advertising to reach each person is less money, and you have less competition in the in the in the newspaper itself, and the people who are reading it. You are a demographic that actually has money. That's quite cool that the online world has made things less competitive in the offline world. Awesome. The next few questions are geared more towards your traditional direct mail through the letterbox type of mailing. 
My first question on this topic is why is it important to segment and customize our mailings? Okay, and this is true online too. Sure. Uh, the reason you want to segment and customize out is you want to make sure that you're reducing waste circulation and grabbing more attention. So um, when you would when you would mail to uh, a, a, you know uh, an audience, let's suppose you're mailing you're mailing out something and you're mailing out a thing for um, electric razors, okay, and it's an offer for that. Uh, every woman on your list is you know unless she's married or something like that, you're you're not hitting the right target audience. Now this may not be the perfect example because women will often buy razors for men <laughs> as gifts. But in general, you know, the way you're looking at it is if you're just targeting, well, golf is actually a good example. It's pretty heavily men. Okay. So you go to, you're going to mail golf into golf lists and stuff like that. You're actually targeting people who are into golf. So they're already shown an interest in it. They've raised their hand and given the ultimate vote, which is their voting, uh, their pocketbook. So you want to know how prospects, uh, you know, thinks, talks, and uh, most importantly, acts. And when you see that, oh, they like to buy golf products and they like to buy golf, you know, books that are based on taking, you know, uh, putting, let's say that's the hot one right now, or taking a stroke off their game on the fairway, then this is what, you know, we can create and tailor a book around. If you were to mail that, take that offer and put it out into the newspaper, well, there's a whole bunch of people that you're paying to reach that don't play golf at all. Mm-hmm. You know, and there, and if you did, you know, so you must segment out and you attract those people, but then you're also being, it's easier to call them out by name. You know, if you segment out an offer on how to make more money or draw more people into your business and you're sending it to a bunch of chiropractors and you say, hey, um, there's a, uh, you know, the, you know, this is a hot new way that chiropractors are making $5,000 extra a week with very little, with very little work, you know, in your area, you know, here in the Los Angeles area. Then they go, well, I'm a chiropractor. I'm in the Los Angeles area and I would like an extra $5,000 a week. You know, it draws them in. And so it, you know, so segmenting helps you to not only in online, it's really, it's extra important because, because the way that the the, um, the the people who provide emails are going is they're starting to ta- to target and say, okay, this person an email from these people don't get in a lot of engagement from people who have our emails. So Gmail will say, look, Bond has sent a thousand of our um, of our people this email, and very few people have opened it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so therefore we're, we think this is you know we're going to start sending them, putting them all in the spam box. Okay, and so that's all the emails that are coming from me. Well, you know, to get them engaged, if I, if they've come on and signed on to my blog to learn about copywriting, right, and I sent them a series of jokes or I sent them a series of other things that aren't segmented based on their interests, and they they start to you know lose interest and disengage from that, then my open rate goes down. The <laughs> yeah. um, and on top of that, the you know what they they're you know they. Uh, basically start, it just starts, uh, losing interest. And so they lose that engagement and I start end up in the spam filter. So I mean, there, but anyway, so what I'm really getting down to is segmenting is really po- is important because it helps you target the right people. It helps you, um, make the most out of your advertising dollars. But even online, there's like a million other good reasons for segmenting that go beyond that that are technically related, like staying out of spam filters and stuff like that. So segmenting is very powerful for being able to target, and you'll be much more effective at selling that way as well. So online, the autoresponder that you're using, they should hopefully have some segmenting tools or customization tools. 
in the offline world, do we need to find a list broker perhaps where we can find these very targeted lists or is that something we should build ourselves? Well, I, you know, the way that I look at it is this, is you don't, um, you know, when, you go, when you're offline and you're in the direct mail space, you're usually dealing with people. Let's suppose it's the golf product again, yeah. right? And this woman has bought a golf product. I wouldn't take her off the list because she's a woman. Yeah. You know, she's still somebody who bought a golf product. Mm-hmm. So you have to do less of this online. Now, what you want to get, what you want to do is make sure that, you know, you're not paying, uh, you're cleaning the list of Nixies, which are return mails and bad addresses. You know, people have moved and didn't forward their address or whatever. Okay. Um, you want to, there, you know, you, uh, but you don't want to do a lot of merging and purging. And the goal, which, you, what you want in a list when you're looking for it, is you want first a lot of hot names because names get cold and stale. You had a hobby like five, ten years ago that you just don't do as much now. It could be bicycling or fishing or whatever it is. But when you were bicycling or fishing, it's like, man, you bought, went out and bought bamboo fly fishing poles and you were studying and reading books and all this other stuff and you just could, you know, you sold a lot. Uh, you know, you bought a lot of stuff on it and you know, now that it's been kind of passe, you haven't bought any fishing products in the last three years. Okay, mm-hmm. people have hobbies like that. Well, when you're on the list, what you want is a list that's continually bringing in a lot of fresh names. Okay, and then of course you would like a list that's really large, and of course you want a list where people are used to spending a lot of money, you know, per item per unit. Mm-hmm. So if you have people who spent three thousand dollars on fishing equipment, and you know, in the last you know year. That's going to be better than people who spent $40 on fishing equipment in the last year. Okay, recent names are going to be better and a bigger list is obviously going to be bigger to mail to. The big, the big key with doing that though is you need to make sure that you're actually getting um, a good sample from it because you know you don't want to happen to what happened to my father which is you know people would come in and the list broker would say okay here you know let me give you an average sampling of these names and what they would do is give you like some of the freshest hottest best names <laughs> you know in the country hoping that your test would go well and then you would rent and buy the rest of the list from them Right. Well, my father explained in the letters or one of the newsletters um, that you should ex- that you know there are ways to try and get around that. And what he would do is come in and say, "Okay, I want the first thousand names in this zip code," and they'd say, "Well, no, there's a bias there, you know, because these people are di- you know these are people in Chicago. They're different from people in Los Angeles." And he's like, "Yeah, I know there's a bias, but it's not nearly as big as the bias of." You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you pretending the whole list is more responsive than it is, and <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. so he would do. You know, he would do things like that. So, but you know, with on, you know, the lists for the most part, you don't. You can't. Um, sometimes you'll segment them geographically. Okay. You know, and what you will do is you will say, okay, you know, because you might even target them. You might be targeting. You might look at lists and only be buying the, you know, the people in the Los Angeles area for real estate because that's where you operate. You know, and stuff like that. Um, so there is some targeting that gets done there, but for the most part, it's you, it's not as in detailed or intricate as the way that you will target your own list with you know having them take a poll and you know tell them what you're interested in and segment them that way. Okay. You get online's got so much flexibility; it's insane. How should our envelope look so that it has the best chance of getting opened? Uh, well, it needs to either be um, look like a very average personal mail. You know, you want to shoot for not even having a um, label on it. And you know, nowadays, so just a normal print. You know, print it. You know, address normally, 
It should look like an APOM mailing, like my father would explain. It have you know the regular address that it would go to of actual live first class stamp, and um, the corner card, which is the return address, should have like no name on it. And a regular envelope itself, not being extra thin or having a window or having a logo on the back or anything like that. The curiosity will drive them nuts, and they have to open that piece of you know that piece of mail. And online, you can do the similar thing, except you um, except uh, if I sent you a piece of mail that said you know hey look this was coming from you know Mike at the Gary and it had a blank subject line. It almost drives you crazy not to open that email. Okay, yeah. and that's so powerful. You can actually only do ten of those, <laughs> and the, the service providers will not start trying to send you out ten. But so uh, the way that I look at subject lines is as forced teaser copy. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in any case, so your but your, with your direct mail pieces, you want it to be is you know as simple and plain and as non from a business as you possibly can. That's why you use a live first class stamp and you don't have you don't use metered mail and you don't send a bulk rate. Because people, you know, uh, they still do it to a degree and just like online, they they sort their mail over a garbage can. Mm-hmm. You know, just trying to sniff out with their human spam filter, is this something I don't need to open? You know, this is a windowed envelope and it says it's from Raleigh, North Carolina. These are always those credit card offers. I throw that away. Yeah. Um, they do that kind of thing. And just like we scan through our email box first trying to figure out what we can delete. You know, mm-hmm. and we go deep, deep, you know, it's the same, same kind of process. Well, that will keep you out of the garbage can. Uh, but one step further to complete this lesson that my father told is, uh, you know, inside the thing, you don't want to open it up and have a bunch of coupons and other stuff fall out and make them go, oh, this really did belong in the garbage can and throw it in there and not begin reading. So it's important to, as he called it, avoid the oh yuck factor when they open that mail. So would you carry on in the same kind of way, almost like a letter from a friend type of style? Yeah. Well, you see, if, now if I sent you this, if I sent you this note, I mean this letter, and you got the envelope like that, you had to open it, and inside the only thing you see is a letter. Mm-hmm. Your curiosity has not been satiated. You still need to start reading that letter. Yeah. And, and that's that's when the copywriting really took place. That's when it was like you know. Grabbed your attention, you know, and then, you know, give you an interesting story or hook and twist and pulled you down and the grease slide begins. And that grease slide is, you know, a way that makes it feel like, you know, uh, well, I can just read one more sentence and this, you know, and you just end up falling through the copy. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not a labored, like, you know, oh, you know, this looks great. Let me sit down with a glass of wine tonight and read it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you want them sucked in immediately and before they know it, they've read the whole thing. Your dad used to send strange objects with the mailings that he sent out sometimes. I know in the Boron letters, some of these included dollar bills, which he sent out in the mail to people. He also sent out a little tiny bag filled with dirt. So why on earth would he do that, and what is the thinking behind this? Well, it has two effects. First of all, when you send mail like that, they call it lumpy mail. Yeah. Um, that actually helps get that email open. The curiosity will still get you to open the, the mailing I just described, but if you feel something in there, it makes you go, hmm, I wonder what's in there. Now, you know, this, you know, marketing changes over time. Like right now, if you send in and it's like, hmm, there feels like a credit card in there, people go, that's just another credit card offer. You yeah. can still throw it away. <laughs> 
But when they go, oh, that feels like a quarter in there. <laughs> now, they didn't feel the dollar bills. Okay, so th- th- that will lead me to the second reason. The first reason is sometimes the lumpy mail actually helped you get it open. Okay. But the second, the second reason was it got your attention. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, um, it was a great excuse. And so when you sent, sent sand or whatever it was, now, okay, imagine going back to our, to our letter. You received the letter. You can't tell who it's really from. You can tell it's from me in Los Angeles, but you can't tell anything else. So your curiosity open it. You, in there, you just see, you know, maybe a small other envelope and a letter. So you have to open the letter. You start to open the letter and you see that there, or you felt something and you see there's a baggie of sand. Now your curiosity is, you know, you're not going, oh, the guy just wanted to send me a little baggie of sand and throw it away. Your curiosity is going to pick that up and go, okay, why did this guy send me a, 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 a thing of sand? <laughs> and then it immediately goes in and it starts to explain. It says, you know, um, hey, I just, I know that, you know, this is odd, but I just sent you a bag of, you know, they sent you a baggie of sand. Why I've done this for two reasons. One is I need some way to get your attention, and this seems uh, especially appropriate. And three, what uh, to what I have to tell you about concerns, you know, getting an incredibly, uh, you know, buying buying uh, beachfront real estate property in Miami or Maui for no money down or whatever the offer is. Mm-hmm. And so it starts twisting into that, and now you can because the list is targeted, and you know this person is interested in buying property. Yeah. Okay, then he, then you know that you've kind of like hooked his attention and that's the beginning of the grease slide. So it's all at first to get your attention. And then, um, and it feels so, and it feels much more personal and it stands out in a way that is, it's well worth the investment. And so the higher the price point is, the higher, the more you can afford of a grabber or, you know, to do stuff to get to your prospect. So, you know, you wouldn't say, you know, my dad wouldn't send out a dollar bill letter to sell a three dollar report on your family name. But he, you know, but if he was sending out, um, I think um, I remember it was one of the what they call it, the most expensive mail campaign in history. And um, I found it in my father's files, but I do remember finding it and emailing him the story. And uh, it was a press release story. And there's a guy doing the same, uh, taking up the principle, except he was uh, going after lawyers who had a lot of money for for a very expensive product, and he was sending him fifty dollar bills in the mail. Wow. <laughs> you know, and um, and the and they since it was sent out like via FedEx and stuff like that, it was also a good way to get past that gatekeeper because the lady at the front desk didn't want to be caught stealing fifty bucks from the boss, so they, <laughs> so they passed them on. Do you know if he got a return on his investment? I can't tell you. I mean, he said he said so. I think in the PR article. In fact, it should be still up on my blog. I think I think if you go through and scroll through the back thing, it's you know some it was just something odd I found in my dad's files. Because I thought people might be interested to know what kind of weird things he would keep. So the object that you send to them, for example, the baggie of sand, it then tied in to beach real estate. So is that a key factor that it does have to somehow be relevant and tie in with the offer? Yeah, you wanted to, you know, the more it ties in, the more it feels like, oh, this wasn't just a trick to get me to open the mail. Yeah. And the be- and the better it is. And it's something that they can grab. You know, you're, you're getting their attention. They're, you know, they're, they're getting a visceral, you know, feeling of, you know, playing with this thing and this thing will sit around. Now, I one time just out of the blue because I got inspired. Um, I didn't even, you know, do this for a particular client or anything. It's just like I had to get out of my head. I wrote, a letter for a dinar using an Iraqi dinar, and um, I found the dinars in my father's apartment, 
And I knew that he was thinking of using these as grabbers, but he never, you know, he didn't have an idea of what to use them for yet. And so what I did is I attached it to a letter and said, you know, see this Iraqi dinar. And this was about four years ago. And I said, uh, you know, do you think that, uh, you know, this is worth basically less than the paper it's printed on because even a blank paper has value. And well, this is made worthless by the man whose decision, the decision is by the man whose face is on the front of the Iraqi dinar. Do you feel like the decisions in this country are going the right way? And it goes down and it go, takes them right in the grease slide all the way down to explaining, you know, how so good Americans are trying to invest in gold, but the real way to probably, you know, whether the storm that are coming is through Forex, the foreign monetary exchange, because all the countries will be passing spending bills and balancing the currencies. And, um, but the, the important part of that lesson is not that it, you know, because first of all, that would be cheaper than a dollar, right? Yeah. Okay. Second of all, it, because it's money, even though it's cheap, defunct money, people have a hard way, time throwing away money. People yeah. who do not collect foreign money will have like foreign notes sitting around the house for, for whatever reason somebody yeah. brought back and nobody can seem to just bring it on themselves to toss out money even if they can't use it, even if it's, you know, 60 cents worth of coins in Liechtenstein or something like that. Yeah. So what happens is you know, that sits around, but here's the better part. When you mail them again next time and you say, hey, if you remember last time I sent you this Iraqi dinar, okay, their heads are nodding yes, you know, or they're, you know, mentally they're nodding yes. That's true. You did send me an Iraqi dinar. And you remember back at that time we talked about gold and foreign exchange. You know, and the, yeah, we did talk about that. And at that time, if you had invested in gold right now, you would have either made only X percent or you would have lost X percentage, you know. Mm -hmm. But the moves to be made in the Forex exchange are even higher. So, but the thing is, so if you have a more interesting beginning, like you sent them the baggie of sand or you sent them an Iraqi dinar or you sent them something unique like that, one, it can cost less than a dollar. Two, it's lumpier than a dollar, so it might actually do a better job of getting the mail open. But three, you get a series of yeses in your head as you hit them again on another mailing. Right. Because they remember this thing that that you were that you were talking about, and you're you're building up credibility and truth in who you are. And you know, now all of a sudden, you're not this guy who just keeps, you know, um, you know, like look at the credit card offers that they never stop sending you, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they come in and come in and come in, but you don't get this feeling. Hey, remember the last credit card offer I sent you? No, you sent me like fourteen thousand of them, and I don't know you from anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> but you're going to remember the guy who sent you an Iraqi dinar, and you're probably going to remember a guy who sent you a dollar bill. Yeah. You know, and you'll definitely remember the guy who sent you a, a you know, a black a bag of black sand from the beaches of of Hawaii. What is the Ada formula? Okay, ADA is the basic formula for all marketing, but and, and the way I like to explain this is it's the basic formula for all human persuasion. Period. Okay. You know, people. You know, when people talk about marketing is life, marketing is all human life. You know, when you're trying to get your kids to do your homework, it's the same. You're doing the same process as somebody who's trying to sell you a car, mm -hmm. which is first you need to get someone's attention. You know, so that could be you know yelling at your kids, hey. Get over here. <laughs> it could be, it could be whispering, hey, you know, it could be, you know, but for, for whatever it is, you're trying to grab someone's attention. In advertising, you know, we think of it as a headline or that first shocking statement or a really sexy girl on a, in a, on a video or whatever it is. But the first thing you need to do is get attention because if you don't have attention, no, you know, the, ga the game is over. You know, imagine trying to convince anybody to do anything, but they just can't hear or see you. You know, they, they, or you don't have their attention. So it starts with that. I is interest. Okay, um, so you you have to go from it got my attention. Now I need to keep your interest. 
So, you know, I need to say, come here or, you know, look, we need to start talking about this and, you know, this and that in an ad. It's usually the story part. It's the part, it's the part where, you know, your story becomes their story. So I, you know, start talking about, hey, um, I got your attention somehow in explaining that, you know, I'm going to teach you how to get open rates of, you know, 40% and up. And then what you do is, um, now I've got your attention and I'm starting to get your interest, right? And I say, you know, and I, and I say, I'm going to tell you, you know, when I first started, op- you know, getting an open, excuse me, mailing to my list, I was disappointed to see how few people had out from the emails. I thought this was horrible and tragic. So I waited and made sure that I was going to spend more time building better content before I mailed that list again. And lo and behold, then I got more people to complain and the rate went even lower. And so I did the worst thing I could was wait even longer and make sure and worked harder to make sure I had even better content when I, and then I realized the solutions as to why I was getting these low open, lower open rates than a lot of people and what, what the reality was. And now I've cured the problem. And okay, so now my story has become your story. That's the interest part, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Now the, then that slowly starts peppering in desire. This unfortunately was made very famous in Glen Gary, Glen Ross, and they they misconstrued the D as decision, but it's really desire. And you know, if anybody wants to send me spam or hate mail on that or debate it, I don't want to bother. <laughs> but you need to build up the desire. You know, you need to build up the desire for them to want the thing. So when I start, let's suppose I continue in this line of thought, and I say. Well, you know, then I found out a couple little tricks that have, you know, increased my click-through rate 400%. My open rate, you know, I taught this trick to my buddy and he got, he, you know, took a 10,000 name list and went from a 9 to a 28% open rate. Um, you know, so now what's going, you know, now it's what I'm doing is I'm fueling your desire for this product and this information, right? Okay, and then the final thing is to get people to act. That's the A part of ADA. It's attention, interest, desire, and action. The action is where you either you're pushing them to make that decision to buy if they haven't already made it, and you're telling them and getting. Uh, it's the whole phase of closing and getting them to order, and it's your sense of urgency and you know the reasons why they shouldn't delay and so forth. And so, but all human persuasion is based on that, <laughs> and it's all about you have to grab attention first. And each phase could be shorter or longer. And I've seen great headlines where it's like that covered all, everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where it was like in a in a simple tweet, they could cover get, grabbing your attention. You know, you know, giving a little bit of interest, fueling your desire, and forcing you to act. Um, so there's no set rule on how big these phases are. And the interest and the desire one can kind of they blend into each other because if somebody's telling you the story of how they solved your problem. You're going from interest to desire, so that you know that phase will get often get blended in a little bit together. But, but it's the it's the it's the foundation of all human persuasion and relationships. So that's definitely applicable to both offline mailings, online, and even just getting your kids to bed, door to door sales, anything. Back to offline mailings. It's recommended in the borrow letters that we should include a reply envelope in our mailings. Can you give us a little bit of information about how we can use that effectively? Well, the way that you want to do that, the reason you uh, put in a reply envelope is you can't leave anything to chance. The delay is death in sales, and it's even more true nowadays than it was before because we're so bombarded with messages that if somebody says, well, I'll think about this and maybe I'll order it later, and they put it down, you know, over the next couple of days, the other, the other mail that comes in and messages will start to cover that. 
Okay, just like you have an email and you say, well, okay, you know, opened it. Well, I'm going to let it sit there for a little while, and then in a week, it's down, you know, under 200 other pieces of email that you said, oh, wait a minute, I might be interested in this later. So delay is death all the time in sales, and you can you have to make the ordering process as smooth as possible so nothing stops them and distracts them from doing it. Mm-hmm. And good marketers will not leave anything to chance. You know, they'll bring you to a place where you should have a thought or a conclusion to buy on your own, but they won't wait for that. They'll tell you buy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they they'll say order. That's why they say pick up the phone <laughs> and order because they're not leaving it to chance for you to figure out to, to how to order is to pick up the phone and. But they want – so they want to make everything smooth as possible, and one of the worst things that could happen is to have them fumbling around looking for a stamp and a return envelope you know, and an envelope to send the order in. You want to make it so that they – from the quick, from the moment they feel the word yes and they, they're thinking yes and making the decision to buy to actually putting – completing the order, you want that to be as, as smooth and as short and as simple as possible. And online, that applies to the same thing. You know, if you have software that says this is a returning customer and we can recognize, you know, already fill out this info for them, you do it. Uh-huh. You know, you get everything as close as you can to just saying the word yes. And that goes with everything in marketing as well. It's not, you know, this principle. Because, you know, when I go into a meeting or I go into something and I want something from someone, I try and reduce it down to as close as I can to the only thing they need to do is say yes. Um, and now you can't always do that because you might be needing something from them. But, you know, it's, but trying to make it so that it is the, you know, what they have to do to get you what you want is the minimum amount required, the better off you are. You do not want people in your mail to stop and go looking for an envelope and for a stamp to, to you know, to mail it. There, there's already so much, so many chances that they're going to put this down and, you know, forget about it and, you know, wait and save it to later, which is never. My last question was in the book, it talks about providing eye relief for the reader. So what is eye relief and do you have any tips on how we can implement that? Sure. And I, um, first of all, eye relief and the best way to describe this since we're, you know, we're not doing, uh, like a showing you a slide or if you can't show a slide, you know, look, I like to show, show people the exact opposite of eye relief. Um, and the exact opposite of eye relief is, is a legal disclaimer. Okay. You'll (laughs) notice them in all caps. Not broken up into paragraphs, not broken up into short sentences. They're blocked on left and right side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's no like bolding or special formatting or anything. <coughs> Excuse me. Those are designed not to be read. Okay. So they are the exact opposite of eye relief. Right. Now what, now let's suppose that you're going, you open up, you're going about your day and you're like, okay, it's Monday morning. The boss is going to be calling me. I got to, um, I got to start jumping on, you know, taking care of this stuff online. And you, you log on, you see your emails, and you open it, and you open one, and you see this long, what looks like, you know, could be half of a book. No matter, even if you want to read it, you're going to say, okay, well, let me put this off till later. Okay, so that's one thing. But the eye relief is what makes it easy to read, makes it easy to first make the decision and say, let me check what this is about. I can read the first couple of lines. And then each line, you know, leaves them, you know, in a certain way where they want to read the next line, but then looking at the next line, well, it's short. I can read that one. Okay? Mm -hmm. You do not want them to look at it and go, Oh, this is gonna, you know, I mean, this is, you know, oh, let me scroll this down. Are you kidding me? This is like 20 pages of text. I don't have time for this right now. 
Yeah. Okay. But if you've got enough eye relief and they're just kind of, oh, I can hop into the first page here and see what this is about, then they can, they can get pulled into what we call the grease slide again. Now, there's a, I could go on and, you know, spend hours and hours giving lessons on how to perfect the grease slide and get people to read every word of your ad and, you know, pull them through it. So I can't do all of that right now. But what you, what my dad is talking about, I'll give you the basics. Was break up those paragraphs into small paragraphs, and he did. He liked, you know, three, you know, like around three line paragraphs. You have to do it even shorter nowadays. People read less and less, and their attention span has gotten shorter and shorter. Yeah. Um, so online, that's even that's an even shorter period. Um, smaller sentences, you know, breaking up those compound sentences, indenting. You know, again, this is all the exact opposite. Proper, you know, uh, capitalizing the first letter of the sentence and, you know, lowercase for the rest. The exact opposite of the legal disclaimer. Um, bolding and subheads. And, um, and, you know, subheads are designed, what they are is, you know, they're, you'll probably show it on a slide. They are little, look like little headlines. They're key points that need to be made that are designed to do two things. Emphasize an important key point in the in the ad itself, in the copy that you're writing, but also to take people who are skimming the ad and suck them in right there. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then they fall they're, now they're in the grease slide because they they read that and they start reading the paragraph below it, which now starts pulling them down through the co- through the copy as well, through all the desire points and to the point of taking action. So the um, so you know providing subheads indentation um, you know uh, proper spacing making the paragraph short making all of this short makes it easier for the decision to read. Now online you don't want to go too far with this because people are okay with it, but you don't want to you really don't want 21 inch wide sentences. You know, because your, your head is, you know, your eyes are going back and forth and it's just really annoying. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't have to be as short as making them all, you know, tw- you know, um, something that will fit on a, on a cell phone. But, um, you know, you need that eye, um, that eye relief needs to match and look like it's easy to read. So nowadays you have to use, um, you know, templates and frames and things like that to make sure that no matter what device they're reading it on, it sizes it properly. So on a 21-inch monitor, it never goes as far out as 21 inches, mm-hmm. but it looks clean and readable on an iPad 2 and an iPad Mini and a Kindle Fire and a smartphone and you know and so forth. So is that just a case of getting your site mobile ready? Well, for the for the websites, yeah, it's it's the mobile versions of the websites. For email for email marketing, it's um, using you know frames and formatting services. There's um, you know, I mean, it's it's basically. I'm, I can't go through all the tech again. This would this would be something that could take a long time. Sure. But the but what you can, you know, the but the main key is, and this is here's a quick tip. I have an iPad, an iPad Mini, and an iTouch. Okay, and they uh, it's actually my kids' iTouch, and I borrow it. And what I do is when I set up emails and I send them out, I take a look at what they look on all the devices. Right. Just like you should be looking at your emails to see how they look on on the different browsers and your websites and how they look. On different browsers to make sure that everybody's getting you know as close to the same experience you want them to have. Um, I learned that you know I learned that one the hard way. I put it, I put I put out and launched this thing had a sales website and Internet Explorer couldn't read it and I didn't know it because I was using you know Firefox and it was like oh wait a minute <laughs> Internet Explorer is a pretty big one to lose. So how did you find out? Did someone get in touch with you to say that they couldn't get on the site? 
yeah, they got in touch with me and told me about it like, I don't know, a week later. <laughs> oh, nice. you know, okay. And here I am all like kind of dejected. Oh, the offer didn't work. <laughs> Where can we go to buy the Boron Letters? Okay, uh, one, okay, you, what you really want, the most popular version is the Kindle version right now because I've added commentary and lessons to it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, some of the stuff we've talked about and a whole lot more. And you will, you'll get the full background and everything. Plus it's an easy place to go. And so you could go to the, you know, go to Amazon and you don't have to have a Kindle. You can, uh, read that on a smartphone or any other mobile device, um, using one of their free apps. Mm-hmm. The and you have to forgive the formatting can get a little wonky because my dad put in examples and I tried to format his letters exactly as they came. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes he puts in little examples and if you don't have the right size font, it looks a little off. So you know you might have to. And but, but you know because Kindle and on these devices you can say okay I want this to be a bigger font to make it yep. easier to read. You know that's flexible or dynamic. But anyway, you don't need a Kindle to read it, and we've got a version up there for ten dollars. If you want to just read the you know the original letters and you don't want the updates and that stuff, um, or the webinar that actually. But here's actually actually another thing. Get it soon because we did a webinar um, that's available if you uh, uh, if you send a if you send a receipt of <laughs> yeah. proof of your receipt from it to boronbonus at thegaryhalbertletter.com, mm-hmm. then you, um, you'll get access to the replay of a very long webinar we did on email marketing with the lessons in the boron letters. And we did that with another marketing email marketing expert. So that you know, for that's you know, for ten bucks, it's an insane deal. But if you just want the original letters without any kind of um, updates whatsoever and stuff like that, you can actually go and join the GaryHalbertLetter.com, and we have they they're up there posted online as well. Great. And is that your main website, Bond? Do you have a website of your own? I, I do too. That's the, you know, we call that kind of like the family website. It's more like the legacy website with the GaryHalbertLetter.com. Um, and I, of course, have, I have one of my own just to put out kind of like my own rambling thoughts, which is BondHalbert.com. Well, that's the end of today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. If you've never been to the GaryHalbertLetter.com before, I highly recommend that you do go over there. It's rated as one of the internet's best direct marketing sites. A real cult favourite amongst top marketers and copywriters. Bond, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on the show today. Thank you, Joey. Appreciate it. The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.